you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 7. Before that, one more announcement. Um, I want you to keep this in mind. Sunday, November 19th, it's the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Uh, we'll have our regular service at 10, but I've been talking with Pastor Rudy, and we're thinking and, and we're planning, we're going to go forward with it, to have another joint service with his church here. They're going to come here. Um, and he called me and said, how about we not just make it where you guys cook for us? How about we cook for each other? So they're going to bring everything laced with curry. And they're expecting us to bring everything laced with Italian seasoning. So it's going to be a great, great time. And our guest speaker that day will be our state overseer, Bishop Steve Smith. He will be back. Um, so it's really going to be a special time to gather with God's people and just be thankful. And uh, it, it really will be a special time. So I want to encourage everyone. Uh, I'll speak more about it as we get closer. We'll put up a sign-up sheet so we know what to have. But mark the day, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, our regular service at 10. But we will have a special time with Pastor Rudy's church and our state overseer. My subject this morning is trusting in God's timing. From this point forward in John's gospel, that we've been making our way through it, but from here to the end of the gospel, for the most part, John highlights Jesus as a suffering servant. Suffering in that dealing with the divided opinions of the crowds that he continually encounters and the persecution he's going to experience from the various religious leaders that will increase as the gospel progresses. But we highlight today something I think we can all identify with. Unbelief from within his own family. Anyone can identify with that? And what this shows, and this isn't always the most positive way to present the gospel, but following Jesus costs. Yes, there are many blessings, and the blessings are beyond measure, and an eternal destiny that is secured by his amazing love, peace, and an abundant life he promises us on this journey. But we are never promised a problem-free challenge-free, persecution-free life. I was, Friday night, I was officiating at a funeral, and one of the family members got up to speak about the woman, a godly woman who had passed away, and mentioned how steadfast and, and, and committed she was no matter what life brought her way. And it was her son who was speaking, and he said she was the epitome of giving people the message that no one was ever promised a rose garden. And I've often heard that, not that I want to ever be contradictory, because I, I don't want to, uh, but I disagree. We are promised a rose garden, but real roses, and they have thorns. What we think of when we think of a rose garden are roses that don't exist anywhere on this planet. Roses that have no thorns, they're pretty, 
Someone else got them ready, and they're just there. But no, you and I can walk through a rose garden in this life as we, as we follow Jesus, but it'll be a real rose garden, one that has thorns and one for which we need to be careful. That ends my being contradictory. But we're not promised a problem-free life. In fact, we are guaranteed the opposite. Following Jesus involves cost. John chapter 7, and I begin reading in verse number 1. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples may there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe him. Therefore, Jesus told them, my time has not yet come. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but can hate me. You go to the festival. I am going up to this festival because my time has not yet come. After he said this, he stayed in Galilee. Verse 6 is where I want to draw some attention. My time is not yet come. The opening verse can give the impression, and I've actually heard people say this, that when Jesus didn't want to go to Jerusalem, go to Judea, because he believed that the Jewish leaders, rightly so, wanted to kill him, that basically he didn't want to go because he was afraid. Okay, not true. He didn't want to go because of timing. One of the most lacking character traits in the church today, let's be honest, is patience. People refuse to wait for anything or wait for anyone. Many have the attitude that why should I have to wait? Many feel that what they want, they want it, and they want it now. What most don't realize is just how blessed they are that God is patient with us. Why should I have to wait for the things that I deserve? If you understood from God's perspective, you'd be grateful that God does not give us all that we deserve. Well, that's not fair. God's not being fair. I Thank God he is not fair with me. Because if he were fair and gave me what I was due justly, it would, I would complain a whole lot more than I do. No, he's not fair, and for that, we should be grateful. And if it's not patience, the other challenge many Christians have is, if I'm following Jesus, why should I... Why should anything bad or anything evil or anything troubling come anywhere near my life? Because obedience involves cost. Now, most are okay being obedient to God's love. Most Christians that I know are okay being obedient to God's ways. Even many unbelievers will acknowledge that many of God's ways are better and sound. 
Most are okay with being obedient to God's purposes and God's perspective in life. Where people get tripped up, often Christians as well, is being obedient to God's timing. In this passage, we see a discussion between Jesus and his biological brothers that centers on timing. Anyone ever have a hard time waiting for God on something? Don't raise your hand. Because all of us have. Waiting on God for a financial breakthrough. Waiting on God for a relationship breakthrough. Waiting on God to move in the life of a family member or a close friend. Waiting on God to heal someone. Waiting on God to restore something that the enemy or poor choices have taken away. That waiting can bring frustration because in our minds, always the best time for God to move is right now. So why doesn't God just get on my page and realize that the best thing for him to do is to move now? And we get out our watches and say, okay, God, move. In this passage, Jesus' brothers encourage him to leave where he is in Galilee and go to Judea so that his disciples could witness further miracles than the ones he had already performed in Galilee. The crowds can marvel at the power of God in his hands. The movement he is leading can grow and overtake the Roman Empire and really have an impact in the lives of Israel. To their way of thinking, the time was now. They even chide him. No one who wants to be a public figure, acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world, verse 4 says. And this from people, who verse 5 says, did not believe in him. So many things wrong with their logic, but perhaps mostly they presume to know or have an idea as to what Jesus wanted. Christians have struggled with this for centuries. What does God want for my life? What does God want for my future? How about just bringing it closer? What does God want for me in this season that I'm in right now? Wouldn't it be great if God told us everything he wants from us? No, it wouldn't. First of all, it would scare the living daylights out of you. But secondly, in one sense, he has given you insight into what he wants. It's called his word. We are to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, and all of our strength. That's what he wants. We are to love others as ourselves. That's what God wants. We are to treat others the way we would like them to treat us. That's what he wants. We are to bless our enemies. Now you're going to meddling, Pastor. We are to bless our enemies. We are to bless those that go out of their way to use us. Or as it says in Matthew, spitefully use us. I still contend that for every believer, what God wants most in our lives is obedience. But when I, but we ask the question, when will I reap the benefits of living that way? When will the fruit come of being obedient? When will I see the blessings that the Bible talks about? 
How come I see other people mistreating people around them and they seem to be making headway? I see other people cutting corners and they're getting ahead. When will my turn come? It's a common phrase and we say it to one another, all in good time. No, I'm gonna revise it today. Not all in good time, all in God's time. I have no idea what good time even means. Jesus' brothers wanted to see him jump through hoops, just like the crowd after he had made the miracle of feeding the 5,000, wanted to see, what are you going to do for us today? They wanted him to demonstrate his power on their terms. We need to realize, especially in the church, that Jesus is not a circus act. He is not a performer. He is, and he truly, to anyone in this planet, has nothing to prove. So many responses Jesus could have given these guys. Like, brothers, we grew up together. Haven't you learned anything over the course of our life? Haven't you thought about that for your own siblings? Don't look around. And don't say anything. They grew up together. But his simple response was, it's not time yet. It can be hard when, our, when people that we are witnessing to don't get it. But it can be even harder when our families don't get it. When those we love dearly just don't seem to be able to embrace God's ways, which include God's timing. When their expectations are centered on the immediate. When their understanding of how God should move on in their lives in this day is influenced by a microwave drive-through ATM culture. That's how they perceive God's timing. When their expectations are centered on now. And because God doesn't perform for them, they begin to belittle anyone who follows the Lord. They begin to criticize and look down on you and on him. They clearly didn't trust God's timing. Because of their unbelief, they miss Jesus' brothers. What he was saying. Often our loved ones aren't going to trust in God's timing. And if they don't know the Lord, I can completely understand why someone who doesn't have a relationship with him would not trust his timing. But church, we need to be people who trust his timing. And when he said, my time is not yet here, they thought he was speaking in their context. meaning that he would demonstrate his power in some other time. He would go and jump through hoops in, in Judea some other time. But that wasn't the time he had in mind. Often you would hear throughout the Gospels, Jesus speak of, my hour has not yet come. My time has not yet come. What he was referring to was what we're going to celebrate at the end of the service. Holy Communion and his crucifixion. That's what he was talking about. They just wouldn't have understood. And sometimes our friends and our families won't understand either. And these are hard questions. Why didn't God heal that family member? Why did he let her go through so much pain and suffering? 
Where, why did God let this happen? Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment, because I don't believe it anyway, that the, all the bad things that happen in our lives and all the evil that transgresses are part and parcel part of God's tremendous design. Most bad things that happen today are because we live in a sinful, ungodly world. People as a society live ungodly lives and then complain when ungodly things happen. But I like how it says it in the NIV, which we read. I believe it truly captures the original text and the intent. My, verse 6, my time has not yet come. For you, any time will do. We're not interested in timing. Most people are just interested in get it done. Not only was Jesus' popularity growing, but also was the animosity toward him as he made his way closer and closer to the hour coming. Hence verse 7 about those who hated him. And why did they hate Jesus? Why do people hate Christians? Why do some of your friends and family hate you? Verse 7, it hates me because I testify that it works, that its works are evil. Do you know anyone in your life that is doing something they thoroughly enjoy, that they want someone coming up to them and saying what you're doing is wrong? Do you know anyone who enjoys being told they're ungodly or unholy? And if they're not being told that directly, that they want, they don't want to know about people who stand for godly things. Whether or not they like it or not, we, are, we need to be a people, because we trust in God's timing, that we know he will rectify life. He will bring order to this planet one day. Don't be surprised when your godly lives offend ungodly people. Don't be surprised when the stand you and I take for what the Bible calls evil isn't received well. It's not evil. It's, it's my opinion. Okay, your opinion is evil. Let's just keep it clear. Don't be surprised when because you take a stand with Jesus, if people stop standing with you, and then when they stop standing with you, they don't go very far, they watch. And if something goes wrong in your life, and I'm not even saying if you do something wrong in your life, if something goes wrong in your life, if trials come your way, if those roses have thorns, they point out from their perspective the foolishness in your life for holding on to Jesus. They'll say, where is the God of your life now? Assure them that even in your worst seasons, even when, and we've just experienced it, when it is pouring outside. And yes, I was in Manhattan on Friday, but God is good. I'm, I, I made it out. And I didn't need a boat. That even when I'm in my worst season, God still has my life in his hands. And when they ask, well, then when will he move on your behalf? All in God's time. All in God's time. 
When to others it seems that God is late working on your behalf, it can feel easy to compromise. But this is a time, this is a day where we of his people need to stand firm, to not give in, to boldly proclaim, because I believe in Jesus, because I love Jesus. I completely trust Jesus. We have to have the attitude of three special Hebrew boys. You know the story from Daniel chapter 3? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, had declared, I'm going to make a big, big statue, 90 feet tall, 9 foot wide. We're not talking an ornament around someone's neck. This was huge. Made, and the head was made of gold. And he gathered the entire people in that city together and said, I'm going to get a band together. And when the band strikes up and the horns play, everyone is supposed to bow down and kneel before this statue and proclaim their loyalty to the king. And it wasn't just loyalty, it was worship. And everybody bowed, but three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And of course, when you do something right, even if someone in authority doesn't see you, there's always someone to tell on you. And his counselors told on him and brought these three boys to the king. And the king said, there must be a, a mistake here. You must not have understood the instructions. I need to let the world know when I don't stand with the world, it's not because I don't understand the world. I understand them fine. I'm not standing with you because your life and your ways don't make sense. I'm going off on a tangent right now. But the king brought the three boys before him and said, okay, we're going to try this again. And then we'll be fine. I'll have the band play. You strike up all the instruments and then you bow and we're good. And the three boys say no. In fact, in Daniel chapter 3, Verse 16, starting in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Even if he does not, I don't need God to come through with a result for me to give him my life. He has already done so much for me. I have an appointment in heaven because of him. Now, many will say God's deliverance of these boys is the greatest part of the story because they go into the furnace and all of a sudden the king looks in and says, hey, we threw three people in there. Why is there a fourth person in there? And he looks like the son of God. Good insight, King. It's an amazing part of the story. But to me, the statement that's powerful is that three, these three boys will trust in God, trust in his timing, regardless of whether or not it works out on their behalf. Even if he doesn't, we will not serve your gods. We will not bow to your philosophies. We will not change what is right and wrong. We will not call right wrong and wrong right. We will serve 
Jesus. Even if things don't change in this world, I will not bow my knee to this world. Even if this culture doesn't get its head on straight, I will not bow to this culture. Even if evil appears to continue to progress, I will remain faithful to the one who died for me. And I will trust in his timing. And even if I suffer in this life, I will trust him. When it comes to trusting in suffering, there's one name that should pop into all of our heads. Job. Ah, dear brother Job. Was living a life, minding his own business. And God's bragging on him. And then we have the next 30 or 40 chapters of the book of Job. But in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his loss, in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his confusion about why is this happening and I can't put my handle on it. He says in Job chapter 13, verse 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Not just love him, not just uh, follow him in some obligatory way, but even if I'm slain, I will still trust him. Church, part of the, the basis of our Christian faith is that there is no other way. Now, some will say the way things are going, it's getting more and more difficult to trust in God. See, my thinking is the opposite. With the way things are going, he's the only one we can trust in. There's, I'm not going to trust in this world. I'm not going to trust in my government. I'm not going to trust in any other government. I'm not going to trust in popular culture. I'm definitely not going to trust in what people find as entertainment and celebrity. I will trust in Jesus. He is the only one who can be trusted. And if I trust in him, I trust in his timing. And I know that's hard. It, uh, waiting is, it's not built into our DNA. It feels sometimes. Lord, help me to be patient. Don't pray that prayer. Don't. Because God will answer it. And the Bible is clear what produces patience. Tribulation. Anyone who's ever come to me at a prayer altar and said, I need patience. I'm thinking to myself, you're praying for trouble. Pray for strength. <laughs> Pray for wisdom. And if you're in a place of trouble, guess what it's going to produce? Patience. It's going to produce patience. Or, as the popular evangelist Joyce Meyer says, you will go around this mountain again. And eventually it should produce patience. God's timing. It's difficult, especially as we've gone through years and haven't seen something come to fruition. But this I know. My trust is in the best place it can be. And that's the son of God, Jesus Christ. He died for me. When I think about what Christians go through in other nations, when I think about what they don't have and what I do. When I think about how they've got to put up with 
evil at a level that I can only read about. And they trust him. As I believe I shared when we first got back from our cruise, one of the most powerful moments when we were in Rome was just standing at the foot of the Colosseum and thinking about this structure and how many Christians died when they were faced with just reject Jesus or we're going to send the lions in. And they said, send them in. Now, I'm sure many prayed, Lord, deliver me. But they now see when you trust in God's timing, you have to trust in God's result. And for those believers back 2000 years ago and throughout the early church. When the Roman Empire was extremely antagonistic, it took 300 years before Constantine came along and made Christianity popular. Sort of. Kinda. That, that's a whole other discussion. But as I'm standing at the foot of the Colosseum, this old structure, not in the same condition it was then, but I'm thinking, how many people died for you, Lord, simply because they trusted you? Trusting in God means trusting in his timing, whether it be for your loved ones, whether it be for your home, whether it be for your health, whether it be for your life. We trust God because he's worthy of our trust. Stand with me, please.